Well, this past week, I was having a conversation with some other leaders. We were in a small group talking about the subject of leading change in an organization. And the question was asked by the leader of the group. He said, for you leaders who are trying to lead change well, how do you personally feel about change? One of the other leaders kind of quipped. He said, well, I like change as long as I get to choose when and what we change. Another one joked, he said, I, I like change as long as everything stays the same. And the thing is, as we begin talking, one of the things I think I, I've found a lot in leadership and in life in general is that change is hard. Leading other people in change is hard, but I've also found that probably the hardest person to lead in change is myself. Anybody have that problem? Leading other people in change, man, I, I know what other people need to change, but when it comes to me, changing myself is hard. Leading myself towards change can be incredibly difficult. Another thing that I've also found is that when it comes to leading change, especially in myself, is if I have the wrong way of thinking, if I have the wrong system, the wrong process, the wrong way of viewing things, I'm going to struggle to make changes. Uh, for instance, how many of you have ever had that moment where you got a wrench on something and maybe it's in a weird angle and you're not quite thinking about it right and you're just yanking on it only to realize you're turning the wrong direction? Has anyone ever been there with me? Like you're just like, why isn't that? Oh yeah, because it's righty, righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. Right. If you're not thinking about the problem correctly, you're not going to have the right process in place to make a change. There, during World War II, there was a study done by the U.S. military, and their goal was to help to armor up their bombers better, put more armor on their bombers so that more of them would make it home. And so their, their, their goal was to look at where do we need to put this armor on the aircraft so that more of these bombers can make it home. Well, it was, it was quite interesting. They, they actually did a study, and, and they looked at planes as they would come back, and they would look at where the bullet holes were, and they kind of made a graph of where all of these bullet holes were on the aircraft. It looked like that. And so the, the original logic that they had, the system of thought that most people said was, okay, so we, we kind of took a graph. This is where the planes are getting hit. So the original idea was, why don't we put more armor where the red dots are? Does that make sense to anybody? Right? A couple of you say no. A couple of you say yes. But one person pointed out, his name was Abraham Wold. He was a statistician. And he pointed out a very, very important piece of information that was game-changing. Every one of these aircraft made it back. He said, we're, we're trying to get more airplanes to come home, and we're looking at aircraft that made it back. We're not studying the ones that didn't. So what they actually did was they put armor where there weren't bullet holes. Because obviously the planes that had been hit in that way were able to make it back. The ones that didn't were obviously hit somewhere else. It's kind of a game-changing thought, because if you're trying to make a change and you're thinking about the problem incorrectly, you're not going to be able to make an accurate change. Are you with me? In the same way, I think it's the same thing in our own life. If we're not thinking about the problems in our life correctly, if we think 
that the issues in our life are something that we can just muscle our way through. If we have the wrong way of thinking about change, we're not going to be able to make the right changes in our life. Paul's going to talk about something in Galatians chapter 6 that I love. He's going to talk about life change in a way that I think a lot of us don't think about. Galatians 6, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Now, what that implies is that there's truth he's about to say, and then there must obviously be another way of thinking that can deceive us into thinking that that's true. And so he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunities, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So what Paul is talking about here is several things. One, he's talking about doing things today that will have changes and have a reward in the future. He's not talking about instant gratification. He's using the idea of planting a seed in the ground and then having to wait for a period of time where then that will come up. And what he's saying here is that you have a choice. You get to sow things, invest things into your life right now that please the Holy Spirit, that please God, or things that please your flesh. Because we all know our flesh, our natural inclinations as humans, we're sinful without God's Holy Spirit in us. And so he says, you have a choice And he almost makes it sound like it's not just a one-time choice, it's a constant choice. Where are you sowing? Are you sowing in your life, investing in your life now for to please God or to please your flesh? And then he says there's going to be an eventual return. One is eternal life, one is death. But he also makes a statement for them not to grow weary which implies that the timing of this is not instantaneous, it's something that comes Eventually, he's talking about doing things today to see fruit later on. One fruit is death. One fruit is the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. He's talking about things that take time. Things that we do now that we don't see the fruit of immediately, but it takes time down the road. I heard a CEO once said that no one understands the thousands of hours it takes to become an overnight success. Because see, the thing in our life, we see people that succeed in things and we think, oh man, they must have just got out of bed this morning and decided, man, I'm going to be fit. I'm going to be a great follower of Jesus. I'm going to be financially healthy. But the thing is, in so many areas of our life, we don't understand how long that process took for them to become that overnight success. So often in our world, we think in terms of making right decisions right now for right now. But so often in the Bible, we see promises that take years and years and years to come. And with some people like Abraham and Moses, they don't even fully see the promise until they're in heaven. So often in our life, we think in terms of immediate effort. What can I do right now in this moment? We like the word try. So often we think success in life is about trying 
putting in my effort right now. I got to try harder, try better, try to be a better follower of Jesus. Just, just try to have the fruit of the Spirit. Just force it out. It starts when, when we have little kids. The thing we celebrate the most when we have little children is this word, try. There's new food on the table. Just try it. They go and attempt to help mom or dad with a chore. We go, oh, thanks for trying. As they get older, they get into things like Little League. And we go, did you try your hardest? We, we keep, they, they come in and say, you know, I don't have to go to the bathroom. You go, just try. Of course, as they get older, that word try isn't quite good enough, is it? They come in and go, I tried to clean my room. Well, try again. <laughs> or they, they come in with a test that has a big F on it. And they go, I tried. And of course, most good parents will say, but did you study? No. Well, then the trying doesn't really help, does it? In the same way, I hear it in people's lives around me. People whose marriages didn't work out. Well, we tried comes to maybe changing a diet, changing a habit in their life. Well, I, I tried. I, I tried to change. I tried to be a good follower of Jesus. I tried to read my Bible this week. Tried to be less angry. Tried to gossip less. Tried to follow Jesus in everything. Tried to spend time in prayer. Tried the whole Jesus thing. It just didn't work. There's a lot of people who are trying to follow Jesus that I think are, are struggling a little bit, and I think the key might be this. I think there's some people that need to change their mindset. And I think there's some people that need to stop trying. And what I mean by that is this. Some people need to stop trying and start training. See, in our spiritual life, we know from reading God's Word that it's the Holy Spirit who brings life change in us, who brings holiness in us. Which doesn't mean, though, that I just sit here and do nothing. Just like we read in Galatians, it means that I'm sowing things in my life to please the Spirit. I'm doing things in my life to allow the Holy Spirit to work, to give him room to work in me. So my job is to plant seeds that the Holy Spirit can turn into fruit. In, our, in every area of our life, what we're sowing matters. And, and Paul uses another word I love as well. When he's not using the word sowing, he uses another word that involves doing things now for an eventual return. In 1 Corinthians 9, he uses the word training. He says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So he says, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I love this word, training. And I think it's one of the most important things in mindset shifts for so many people who are trying to have life change in their life in any area, is that we need to shift from trying to training. 
See, trying is to do the right thing by exerting effort in the moment. Right? To try is to, to do the right thing by exerting effort in the moment. You're being tempted. I'm going to try not to do that. You have a moment to love people. Okay, I'm going to try to love them well. I'm going to try. Training is to commit to developing strategic habits that equip you to do the right thing in the moment. Training is, is having strategic habits in your life that equip you to do the right thing in the moment. For those of you who have done any type of running or racing or anything that involves pushing your body past its normal limits, if you just go out one day and say, okay, I'm going to run a marathon, not going to work well. If you just go out there and try. But if you train... Building and building and building, you'll get to a point where you can, in fact, do that, right? Training is studying for the test. It's having a plan for your diet. It's having a scheduled habit of reading God's word in your life. It's having a life group. It's spending time with God in prayer. It's doing the things now so that in the moment down the road, you can make the right choices. Training is doing today what you can do so that tomorrow you can do what you can't do today. Training is doing what I can do today so that tomorrow I can do what I can't do today. You may have heard that old statement that champions do daily what others do occasionally. The thing I've found in my life is that this idea of trying, this idea of effort, can often stop me from relying on God. When I'm trying, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make myself better. So often I can stop relying on God for life change, and I start relying on Tim, which becomes really, really bad because I'm really, really bad at changing anyone's life, let alone my own. But when I'm training, what I'm saying is, God, I'm going to be sowing these seeds in the ground, sowing these habits in my life, and I'm putting them up for you to grow fruit out of them. I need your help. I'm just doing what I can do today so that tomorrow you can equip me to do what I can't do today. To be more like you today. To love in a way that I can't love today. To, to have God's peace in a way that I don't have God's peace today. To obey in a way that I'm not obeying today. Training is saying, God, I'm going to dig my hole in the ground today and I'm going to plant in these seeds. And God, I pray that out of that you will grow fruit of righteousness in my life. And so today I want to talk about training. I want to talk about life change and some areas that we can train. The first one is this. The first thing we can train is our brain. We can train our brains. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the word says. The word says that we are transformed by our mind being changed, by our thoughts being changed. And that starts with thinking about what we think about. I've heard it said that your life goes in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life goes in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You have to train your brain. 
why it says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Therefore, take stock of what you're thinking about and ask yourself, then, is what I'm thinking about true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it something that's excellent or praiseworthy? And if it's not, then I shouldn't be thinking about it. Especially one of the most important things you can do if you're someone who struggles with your thoughts is to take stock of what you're thinking about and ask that first question especially, is what I'm thinking true? If I'm a follower of Jesus, is the thoughts in my head, are they lining up with what God's word says about me? One of the best things you can do is write out the lies that you think in your head. If you got a lie that's been coming around, you're not good enough. You're worthless. You always make mistakes. You're just going to fall back again. You're not good enough for God to save you. You're the reason everything's messed up around you. If you have those kind of things going on and on in your head, I want to encourage you to do this. Write them down. And then next to it, write out God's truth. When, it's, when you, that voice in your head says things like, I'm worthless, remind that voice that you are a child of God. When you think you've messed up too much, remember that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. Every time you've ever messed up is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. The moments that you think, I'm too weak, I can't do it, remember that his power is made perfect in weakness. And he can make all circumstances work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In every area of your life, start to ask yourself, where do I have lies coming in? Where do I have things coming into my life that aren't true, that aren't of God, that aren't pleasing to God? One of the best ways to train your brain is take stock of what you're thinking and then what the Word says in 2 Corinthians. It says, Paul says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now you notice, it doesn't say ignore every thought that isn't like Christ. It doesn't say hope it goes away or just push it away, push that thought away. It says no, take it captive. It reminds me of a wartime situation where an enemy combatant is captured. You take him and you put him in a chair and you interrogate him. Hey, how did you get in here? Who sent you? What lie or insecurity did you use to get into my brain? Because I know you aren't of God. What, what thing am I thinking? What process in my mind is going on that I'm allowing this lie to come in? And I'm going to take you captive and I'm going to make you obedient to Christ. One of the best things you can do is understand what things in your brain are not of God. And the best way to identify what's a lie and what's God's truth is spending time with God's truth, spending time in his presence. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sits in the company of mockers. We talked about this last week. Your friends matter, the people around you matter. 
But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Who meditates on God's law, who meditates on God's words day and night. That's how you get God's truth into your mind. When you have those moments when when the devil is telling you lies, telling you that you're not good enough, that you're worthless, and you reach into that vault of God's truth, if you've been meditating on his word, that's what's going to come out. But if you don't spend a lot of time in God's word, you reach in, there's not a lot in there. Let me pull out some of God's truth. Oh, it's, it's empty because I haven't read my Bible in three months. When you meditate on God's law, it changes things. When you spend time in prayer with God, it starts to change your brain. Because the fact is, your identity and your thoughts are shaped by who you spend time with the most, who you spend the most significant time. So the question is, how much significant time do you spend with God each day? Listening to him, praying, being in his word, talking with other people who love Jesus as well. How how much of that time do you spend with him? Because that's going to be able to help you fight the lies in your mind. The first thing you do is you got to train your brain if you want to make a life change, you've got to look at how you're thinking and what things are wrong in your thinking process. The second thing is this, you train your inputs. You train what's being input into your life. Galatians 6.8 says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I love that all throughout the Bible, they use references to farming. They use references to growing things. And it, it's such a, a simple idea, but it, it's quite profound the more you dig into it. And, and for those of you who are farmers in the room, you know, if, if you and I are, are, are planting, and, and we're out there, and we're putting corn seed out there, and I turn, and I'm like, man, I just can't wait to see how the beans come up this year. You're probably going to look at me and go, uh, you're, you're in the wrong field. There, we, we put corn in here, so corn's going to grow. And it's simple, and it's kind of a stupid analogy, but at the same time, in our own life, sometimes I think we as Christians can be kind of naive, and we'll look at things growing up in, world, in our life, and we're like, how did that grow up? How did that anger and resentment grow up? How did that gossiping spirit grow up? How did that lying grow up in my life? Well, I planted it. Every single time there's something that I'm planting, that I'm putting in the ground, that's growing this fruit in my life. Anytime there's fruit I don't like, I always got to go back to, hold on, what am I sowing into my life? What am I inputting into my life? What are the habits in my life? What are the things that we allow to come into our brains and our, and our actions each and every day. Because the fact is, your habits matter. And the more that you have good habits in your life, the more you have things that are healthy in your life spiritually, the more you're going to start to identify things in your life that aren't healthy. And being healthy spiritually and having healthy habits is never about going, okay, what's the list of things I can do and can't do? That never works. For a long time, there was a... a a movement going on called the holiness movement where people were getting filled by the Holy Spirit and they were just wanting to have more of God and be more and more like Jesus and it became very important in that movement to truly be holy. How do we be holy? The problem was the first generation and second generation were like, how do we become like Jesus? And then the next generations became, 
hey, they were close to Jesus. How do we be like them? And then it just became a list of rules. It became a list of things like, okay, they, they didn't watch TV, so we're not watching TV. They felt convicted about dancing, so no dancing. And you got the Footloose movie out of that. <laughs> got to the point where it became a list of rules instead of a relationship with Jesus. See, the thing is, holiness comes from a relationship with him. So the more that I have inputs in my life that are drawing me closer to Jesus, the more I'm going to start seeing things in my life that aren't helping me draw closer to Jesus. There's going to be things that I go, hmm, yeah, that's not, that's not really helping me. And maybe for you it's not a big deal, but each person needs to be led by the Holy Spirit and ask yourselves, what habits am I putting into my life? What things am I allowing in that I shouldn't be. And finally, the third thing that we do to train ourselves for life change is to, cha is to train through output. So often, we, we talk about this phrase, you have to practice what you preach. But also, I think, to have something work in my life is I sometimes have to practice what has been preached to me. I mean, for instance, I can go and I can hear a message, or I can read a great book, and, it, and it, it's so great, it's a profound thought, but until I actually put it into action, it doesn't always stick in my brain. Right? Because it's just the words on a page, it's just words that some preacher said, but when I actually take it and apply it in my life, it grows root, it grows muscle in my life when I actually put it into practice. We have to practice what's been preached. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus speaking, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Philippians 4, 9 says, Whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Galatians 6, 10 that we read earlier says, Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. One of the best things you can do to grow in your relationship with God is to serve others, is to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because what I have found is this, in our bodies, we have these things called you know, carbs and calories, and the basic idea is that your body's supposed to take those and then you do things and it burns those carbs and calories, right? But eventually we can get to a place where, where we have more of these things coming in than we're actually burning. And then eventually what happens is we start to store those. And eventually it leads to a point where we've got some excess weight. And I think the same thing happens in our spiritual lives. There's a lot of Christians who are spiritually obese because they've had so much God's truth coming in, but they're not using it. They're not burning the calories, if you will. They're not going and putting it into practice, putting in hands and feet behind it and going and serving others and loving people and taking the word that's been spoken to them and then going and speaking it to others. They're not going out on the Great Commission What that leads to is Christians who get inwardly focused. Leads to the point where a lot of Christians are dissatisfied with church because rather than being contributors, they're just consumers. They get to a point where they start to critique every little thing about the church. The fact is, we were never called to be spiritual consumers. God called us to contribute. 
The church doesn't exist for me. I am the church, and the church exists for the world. And I've been in this position before where I, I can almost become like a sermon connoisseur, a church connoisseur, and I, especially being in ministry, you can get to this place where you sit in a church service, and you're thinking about all the little things that could be better. You listen to the message, and you're like, well, I don't know if I fully agree at that point. You know, I, don't know, I don't know if I would have exegeted the passage that way. And you're sitting there kind of picking apart at it. And the, the problem in the church today is a lot of times we can do that because we have access to some of the best preachers and teachers in the whole world. But sometimes we can get to a place where we're educated beyond our level of obedience. We're equipped beyond our level of action. If I said to you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get better in a new sport. I'll pick pickleball because I, I, I started this last year. But the problem is I bought a pickleball paddle and I haven't got any better. Haven't played a lot is the big reason. And the biggest reason why I haven't played a lot is because not a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, come here, you're coming with me, and you're going to play pickleball with me. That's happened one time this year at a family gathering. So I played pickleball one time. Because no spontaneous games have just broken out around me. And if I sat there with you and said, I'm so frustrated, I want to get better, you have to say, well, yeah, you've got to go actually find a game. Find a place for you to practice and get better, right? In the same way in our own lives, I think a lot of Christians walk around and they go, well, you know, when God drops somebody in my lap, I'll tell them about Jesus. When God drops somebody in my lap, I guess I'll go serve. But instead, sometimes we have to actually go out and find those things. The easiest and first place to do that is in the church. Man, one of the best places you can serve is in the church. Because if you want to go impact children, well, great. We'll put you in a room full of them. You want to impact youth and teens? Come on, we got a room full of them. You want to impact hungry people? We got them. We'll line them up. You can just stand there and they can drive right to you. It's one of the best places to learn how to be a follower of Jesus better and share Jesus better is in the church. But also on top of that, it's also our job to go out into the world and serve. First Peter says that we should practice hospitality. What that word means isn't just hospitality in the sense of opening up your home and letting someone stay there because that was big in that day. But it's just this idea of welcoming people into your home, your life, whatever that looks like. And one of the best ways we can love people is having a, a sense of hospitality. Not only welcoming them into our homes, but even more importantly, seeking to welcome them into their eternal home, heaven. Helping them to have a relationship with Jesus. And as we look around our neighborhoods and our cities, do we see people that need help, that need the love of Jesus? Are we willing to step out and do something about it? See, the thing is, there's a lot of people who feel like they don't have a place to put into practice God's word. To put into practice the art of loving people well, practicing hospitality, whatever that is. And there's two reasons for that. One is they, they don't know where to start. And like I said before, man, if God's putting a burden on your heart to serve more, especially in the areas of the next generation, boy, we have so many opportunities for you to serve people well, whether it's in our kids' ministry or youth ministry. In addition to that, we have so many different ways you can serve right here within the church. 
Maybe you're saying, I'm not a people person. I'm a, I'm a bits and bytes and numbers and cords and wires type person. Let me tell you what, we have some great opportunities for that. In our tech team, we have so many different ways you can do that. There's a place for each and every one of you to serve in God's church. But in addition to that, sometimes the reason we feel like we don't have a place to practice God's word, to love people, is because we just, we don't see it. Like it's right in front of us, but we just don't see it. What we see is that annoying family member who runs their mouth every single Christmas and has too much to drink. What we see is that neighbor who's always grumpy and is a huge pain in our butt, and any time a single leaf from our yard flies over and even comes close to her yard, she wants to call 911. What we see is our crazy kids who have too much energy and are always going berserk and bananas and just can never listen. What we're missing is the children that God's put in our life to pastor and raise towards Jesus. What we're missing is the opportunity to be the light of Jesus to our neighbor who we don't like, but we should like and love because Jesus likes and loves them. What we're missing is the fact that we're family with someone who doesn't know Jesus and we have opportunities to speak into their life and be the light of Jesus to them. Even more importantly, we have the opportunity to pray for them as someone who's close to them. God, give me the words to say. God, give me the opportunities. God, would you open up the door? So often we go, I don't know the words to say. The fact is, that's not an excuse. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. So the question is, did you ask the Holy Spirit or did you just try to try it yourself? The fact is, praying is a form of sowing as well and training. Coming before God and saying, God, as I go through my day... As I look at my life this year, can you show me where to put into practice your word? How to love people well? God, if that's here in the church, will you show me where I should serve? God, as I go through my week, will you show me who it is that I'm supposed to be your light to? Because the fact is, we know that God doesn't do something in us just for us. Otherwise, we just go to heaven like that. But God has something going on in us so he can do something through us. So what does God want to do through you this year? As you look at your life this year, as you look at how you're training, how you're growing in Christ, I want you to ask the question, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to ask the question this week, and we're going to talk about it more next week. What does God want to do in you? And what does God want to do through you? And how can you train and sow into your life so that you can be equipped to make those right decisions when they come. Would you pray with me? Father, for each and every one of us, God, I pray that your word would be sinking into our hearts, that we become convicted if there's things that we're sowing in our life that are not of you, that are sowing towards our flesh. God, would you help us to have that conviction, to stop that, and instead sow seeds that please your spirit. Help us to grow in the habits, in the knowledge, in the systems in our life that will help us to grow in you and make those right decisions when they come. And God, for each and every one of us, would you convict us and break our hearts
if we don't care about people around us who don't know you. God, the people that you've specifically placed in our life for us to have an impact on, God, would you help us to be so heartbroken for them and their eternal situation and their relationship with you? Help it to be something that we can't contain within ourselves, that we want to just go tell people about you and be the love of Jesus to everyone that we can and stand on truth in our lives in a way that stands out to the world. God, would you just continue to embolden us and empower us as a church to be the kind of church that doesn't just come to get a little bit better, but truly has Jesus so imprinted on their life that the world around desperately wants to have what they have. God, you are so good. You're so amazing. You're so incredible. Thank you for all the ways you're working in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.